So with that, let's pray, and then we're going to get into the Word today. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just we're grateful for this opportunity we have, um, Lord, that we can freely come and worship, that we can freely come, Lord, and be in your Word, hear you speak to us. And so, Father, pray, Lord, that we come with open hearts, open minds, Lord, that we are attentive to your word and what you have for us today. Father, help us to um, see you, Lord, throughout Scripture, Lord, and um, help us to apply that to our lives, um, to glorify you in all that we do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Psalm 1. We won't get there for a little while, but that'll be kind of the main passage for today. Um, Oh, really quick. Hello, Mom. You messaged me earlier and I forgot to text back. (laughs) So she tunes in every week. So Um, the last about month or so, we've been going through the book of Haggai. And we studied through two chapters and looking at um, what it means to uh, live for God's kingdom, right? And uh, I know Bob's mentioned it. I know I've, in my own interaction with the book of Haggai, it's not been much. And so it's been refreshing to tackle a book like Haggai in the Old Testament. Um, I don't know. I always get excited when people preach from the Old Testament. I don't think we hear enough from the Old Testament. Um, But there's so much to be learned um, through that. Um, And I remember growing up and being a part of like children's church or Sunday school, um, and this is another shout out to mom, but she always used to use like the little flannel graph. Anybody remember those? The green board with the little people that stick up to it. Nobody? Cool, it's just me. Um, but I remember them, and I'm a visual learner, so it always stuck. And so it was always cool to kind of sit and listen about all these old stories um, and just appreciate seeing what God did um, with his people. And so as we went through the book of Haggai, uh, we got to see how God interacted with his people um, and how he encouraged them to live, with, um, to live for his kingdom and for his glory. And so we're going to kind of backtrack a little bit. We're going to kind of do a little recap. Just hang with me because it's going to set up what we're going to talk about for the rest of the morning. All right, so indulge me for a few minutes um, as we kind of recap. The overarching purpose of Haggai, um, if we look back, is Haggai was about, um, is about what it is to live for God's kingdom wholeheartedly with everything we have and the time we have left on earth. All right, so there was a focus, living for God's kingdom. All right, and we covered the idea or concept um, of kingdom life through all four weeks. And it's one of the things that I love when I study Scripture is finding those patterns, finding those things that kind of knit it all together, right? And it just helps make everything make sense. Um, And so Pastor Bob did that very well. Um, He started out week one talking about kingdom priorities, right? And we looked at how the nation of Israel had a task and they quickly fell off task. Right, the temple of God was to be rebuilt. Right, 
The temple of God was a place where God's people could be in his presence, preparing them to become that holy presence here on earth. It's a crucial role in God's plan, right? To dwell with humanity. And it's similar to what we do here today, right? We come each week, we worship, we dig into the word together, right? We learn about how God wants us to live our day-to-day lives to glorify him. We've heard it many times here before on Sunday mornings. It's not about us. It's about him. And in reality, it's every day is about him. Right? Growing, going to youth group, growing up, our theme verse, and we had a theme verse, um, was 1 Corinthians 10.31. And to this day, it, it's stuck with me. And it says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. It highlighted everything we did. Whether we went to camp, whether we went on a retreat, whether we went down the road to go to the bowling alley, wherever it was, it highlighted everything we did. It built a framework for us to operate as. Right? So as a group and as individuals, right, it helped us to stay on task. But the people of Israel did not stay on task. And surprisingly, if we look at our own lives, we don't stay on task very well either. I can tell you as a teen, and even now, I don't stay on task very well at times. You read through the Old Testament, you'll find that, and it's not surprising to see, the Israelites always seem to forget their way. Oftentimes, purposefully, they walked a different path than what God had laid out for them. And so in week one of Haggai, we saw God bringing an accusation before his people. They had strayed from the task, and in typical human fashion, they shifted the blame. They were tasked with the rebuilding of the temple, and they thought there was no way to do it. Times got tough. But yet, in the meantime, somehow their homes got lavish and comfortable. We're going to see that again a little later. And so God confronted this, and in response, the nation of Israel repented. They gave way to the word of the Lord and obeyed it. So that brought us into week two, kingdom perspective. We learned to prioritize God. His word and the task he laid before us, now it was time to maintain the right focus. Right. And I loved in chapter one where he talked and said, Consider your ways. Right? The new English translation puts it this way um, both times says, Think carefully about what you are doing. In verse seven, it says, Pay close attention to these things also. God's inciting us to slow down, right? to put the foot on the brake a little, to examine where we're going and what we're doing. It's something we don't do often. Right? We live in a world where decisions have to be made and they have to be made quickly. No thought given. You just have to go and do. Life's moving at 100 miles an hour. 
There's no time to waste. But God is telling us to sit still for a minute, to put thought into what we're doing. We've got a task to do. It needs to be done intentionally, not quick or haphazardly. We are encouraged to be strong, to keep working. We're reminded that God is with us. We were instructed that discouragement will come, but how we respond is key. And sometimes we forget about that. We lose sight of where we need to be. The third week, kingdom purity, the leaders of Israel were faced with a two-pointed question. It was a heart check. What's our motive? What's the reason behind the way we do things? And we learn that external religious activities in the name of God doesn't earn us God's righteousness or God's blessing. That it only comes by way of grace through a transformed heart. It's pointing us to the cross. I'm reminded of a pastor that I sat under growing up, Pastor Wood, who always told me that the Old Testament pointed to Christ and the New Testament looked back at Christ. And the cross of Christ sat in the center. Everything points to the cross of Christ. It points to the work that he did on our behalf, on our behalf. And how in representing us before the Father, we are now seen as righteous. Our relationship is restored. And so we need to keep check on what motivates us in serving God. And last week we touched on kingdom promise. To hold loose the things of the world, to have a firm grasp on the most important thing. Jesus Christ. Our relationship with Him. We learned that We, too, have been chosen. We looked at being adopted into the family of God. We looked at the life of Zerubbabel, as crazy and messed up as it seemed, as Bob dissected the family lineage. We, too, are in the same position, chosen and adopted, children of God. And as I was thinking about all these things and trying to piece them all together, I had a question that came to mind, and it was, what's the purpose? Is there a purpose? Is there a kingdom purpose? The short answer to that is, there is a purpose. And once we understand that purpose, I believe that it will have and give us a framework in which we begin to prioritize, in which we begin to fix our perspective, and to which we begin to understand the proper motive in doing things. We end at Haggai understanding that the nation of Israel was a chosen people, and through the people of Israel, the Messiah will come, and has come. We know that. And if you were with us through the Gospel of John series that took several years, it seems, we learned about the life and the death and the burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the implications of that in our own life. And so I'd like to take a cue from week two of Haggai, and I want to lean in for a few minutes and think carefully 
about what the kingdom purpose is for our lives. What is it that we think about when we think of being the chosen people, right? Or the Israelites being the chosen people of God. And as we read through the Old Testament, we see the interaction of God with the nation of Israel. We see the interaction of of God with particular people. Furthermore, even the world. The Hebrew Scriptures reveal a lot about Israel's special status as God's chosen nation. If we look at Deuteronomy 7, we see, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. He has chosen you to be His people, prized above all others on the face of the earth. First, we see this word holy. It's a word denoting that the people of Israel were singled out. They were separated from the rest of the world to be used for a special reason. They were also prized above all others. Treasured. It's this idea of holding close, holding personal. And so here was God choosing the nation of Israel for a special reason. He treasured them and held personal to himself. Why? Moses continues on in verses 7 through 11. He said, It is not because you are more numerous than all the other peoples that the Lord favored and chose you. For in fact, you were the least numerous of all people. It's this idea almost that there was nothing desirable. Definitely wasn't how many there were, how big they were as a nation. Rather, it is because of his love for you and his faithfulness to the promise he solemnly vowed to your ancestors that the Lord brought you out, of, out with great power, redeeming you from the place of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So you realize that the Lord your God is the true God, the faithful God who keeps covenant faithfully with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations but who pays back those who hate him as they deserve and destroy as he as they deserve and destroys them he will not ignore those who hate him but he will repay them as they deserve so keep the commandments statutes and ordinances that i today am commanding you to do right. we see it wasn't about who they were More so, it was about who God was. We see that God is a true God, that He is faithful to those He chooses. To those who love Him and keep His commandments. The good doesn't come without the bad. And Moses also gives warning about those who hate God and who move away from His word. And so Moses finishes by encouraging his people what? To keep the commands, statutes, and ordinances. So we see that the people of Israel were chosen because of who God is. And he does the same for us. It's not about who we are or what we've done. It's his love. He loves us. He created us for a special reason, right? He created us to worship Him. 
And he stays true to that. And as I was looking through this, I noticed a thread between the story of the nation of Israel and the story that we saw in Haggai. That is the word of the Lord. In fact, in Haggai, if we look back at it, there's 20-something times in which we see an instance of God speaking to his people. Or his word coming down through a prophet. A constant reminder that the nation what must be mindful of God's word. That God's word is central to everything that they do. It's an important aspect of the nation's life. An important aspect of each individual person's life, as well as ours. A couple weeks ago, I shared about this at men's breakfast, and I was reminded of Psalm 119. If you've never read it, it's 176 verses talking about simply that, God's Word. How God's Word is great and good and the benefits of clinging to it and, and obeying it. I don't think it's a coincidence that the longest chapter in the Bible is a, on God's Word. Right, so we're beginning to see that the Word of God plays an important part of God's purpose for the people of Israel. It's central. Everything they do flows through God's Word. It's the lens in which they see things. And so as we continue throughout our journey through Scripture, we see Yahweh establishes David as king. We're skipping ahead a little. David reflects on God's special relationship with the nation of Israel in 2 Samuel. And he says, Who is like your people, Israel, a unique nation on earth? There God went to claim a nation for himself and to make a name for himself. You did great and awesome acts for your land before your people, who you delivered for yourself from the Egyptian empire and its gods. You made Israel your very own people for all time. You, O Lord, became their God. And so we see God cares for his people. He rescues them. He delivers them and provides for them in time of need. More so, it's a testimony of how great and mighty God is. How sovereign and gracious and merciful God is towards his people. And the beautiful thing about this, is we see between the book of Genesis and 2 Samuel, is quite a bit of time, right? And I love that little piece in verse 24. He says, you made Israel for your very own people, what, for all time. It's not temporary. Right, we see this later on in Scripture. We're reminded of Paul's letter to the Ephesians where he says we're sealed, what, for the, till the day of redemption. We are his possession forever. We've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. It's clear to see that God has chosen his people from the nation of Israel. And so a question arises, is does God play favorites? Is God showing favorites to Israel over every other nation group? 
Is there a contradiction between the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament? These issues can be resolved if we look at the question a little closer. And so we saw earlier that they were chosen because of who? Because of God. Because of His love. Because of His mercy and His grace. Not because of what one person did or another person did. If we look at the very beginning in Genesis 12, we see, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go out from your country, your relatives, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. Then I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. And I will make your name great, so that you will exemplify divine blessings. I will bless those who bless you. The one who treats you lightly, I, will, I must curse. And all the families of the earth will bless one another by your name. And so God tells Abraham that he will make him into an entire nation that will prosper and grow and have great reputation and be secure. And this family later on becomes the nation of Israel. But stop for a moment. Does the author give a purpose for God choosing Abraham's family? He does. The last line of God's blessing to Abraham says, and all families on earth will be what? Blessed through you. And so God chooses this one family to be the vessel of his blessing to all families throughout all the earth. And we'll see that this pattern continues all throughout Scripture. God repeatedly chooses one for the benefit of many. If so, we conclude this is something the author wants us to see all throughout Scripture. We move on. After God rescues his people out of Egypt, he leads them to Mount Sinai to establish a covenant with them. And God again calls Israel his chosen nation. We see in Exodus 19, verse 5, Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. So we see God's word again. If you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. And he continues on in verse 6, Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So now we're getting a little bit more specific on our purpose. We must consider this phrase, kingdom of priests. What is the role of a priest? The role of a priest is to mediate, restore a relationship between two parties. And who are the two parties? Actually, there's three. Right? But we see that God is speaking to the nation of Israel. And so the third party is the nation. The nation surrounding Israelites. And so Israel's role as God's chosen people is to reconcile all nations to God. Again, God chooses one out of the many so that the many would be blessed. They're called to mediate, to restore the relationship of all people on earth back to God. Israel is meant to faithfully represent God by how They live as a community of love 
justice, and worship of God alone. This is what the law is all about. and points people to in regards on how they should live. They're called to display who God is to all nations so that all would come to know and worship the one true God. And so we see Israel is in the perfect position to reveal God to the nations. They have seen and experienced God firsthand. They've seen His power and they've seen His grace and they've seen His mercy. But yet, somehow, God's people continually fail at the task they've been given. We see they go on to worship other gods and participate in injustice and oppression. We picked up on that a little in Haggai. And this continues on throughout all human history. We finally get to the prophet Isaiah who announces that God will raise up one individual from within the many. Here we go. A chosen Messiah who will fulfill the role of revealing Yahweh to the world. The Messiah will be a light to the nations and salvation to the ends of the earth. And so when Jesus comes on to the scene, he claims to be just that, the chosen one, calling himself the light of the world, commissioning his followers to spread the good news of his resurrection from the dead to the ends of the earth. God chooses Israel and ultimately Jesus. And this results in the exact opposite of God favoring one group to the exclusion of all others. Instead, God works out his plan to extend his love to all the world through one group or one individual. We can see this at play in the ministry of Jesus and his followers. If we look back at the book of John for a second, John chapter 4, we see that God, uh, Christ had an interaction with a Samaritan woman, a non-Jew. We saw in our study that he invites her into a conversation and reveals to her that he is a Messiah that her and her people were waiting for. And she accepts his invitation. And she runs and tells others right, about him. And so we notice that the natural outcome of knowing Jesus and having a clear understanding of God's truth spoken to him to us is that our lives are changed from the inside out. And the natural outcome of that is to go and to share that with others. We're now understanding our purpose a little bit more. Peter wraps it up quite well in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, but you, talking to believers, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own, so that you may proclaim the virtues of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You were once not a people, but now you are God's people. You were shown no mercy, but now you have received mercy. 
We are now God's chosen. We are his children. We have been moved from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We are considered a royal priesthood. We now stand in the gap to mediate, to reconcile the people of the nations around us back to God. That is our kingdom purpose, to share the love of Christ with others. We've been commissioned to do so, to go and make disciples, teaching them all that we've been taught. All of us, not just a select few, When we look back in the story of Haggai, it wasn't just Haggai who was moved and motivated to complete the task. It moved from the top to the bottom, from the leaders to the common person. And that's the beauty of kingdom purpose. It takes all of us. We're all involved. We all have our ways of contributing. We all have our place. There are some here that reach individuals and serve people in ways that I cannot, people that I may never meet. And likewise, I come into contact with people that you may never meet. And so we all must stay on task. We all must be focused on our kingdom purpose. And so the question now becomes, how do we do that? Understanding what our kingdom purpose is. That the word of God is central to what we do and what we say. That living in community right, and serving others around us, all while worshiping God and obeying him, right, reaches and touches the lives of those around us. I think Psalm 1 is a beautiful way to, to look at that. It's short, it's six verses, right? It says, How blessed is the one who does not follow the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway with sinners, or sit in the assembly of scoffers. Instead, he finds pleasure in obeying the Lord's commands. He meditates on his commands day and night. He's like a tree planted by flowing streams. It's yields its fruit at the proper time, and its leaves never fall off. He succeeds in everything he attempts. Not so with the wicked. Instead, they are like wind-driven chaff. For this reason, the wicked cannot withstand judgment, nor can sinners join the assembly of the godly. Certainly, the Lord guards the way of the godly. The way of the wicked ends in destruction. So a quick glance, we know it's broken into two sections. The first regarding the righteous, the second regarding the wicked. And the author of Psalms of Psalm 1 starts off by saying, well, how blessed is the one. The word here is ashray, which denotes how desirable and good it is to experience God's blessing. 
It denotes how desirable and good it is to experience God's blessing, to experience God's favor, His love, His mercy, His grace, His forgiveness. So why is the righteous blessed? Because they do not follow the advice of the wicked. Right? Because they stay focused right, on the Word of God. They seek His counsel. Right? They seek His wisdom. They don't go outside of that. I think it's something we can relate to. We're seeking advice. We would not go somewhere that we would deem to be corrupt. We would do good to go to a reputable source, and if we could, to the original source, to find advice and counsel. We do good to steer clear of people in places that wish to do harm and lead us in the wrong direction. We do become better at this with time and experience as we continue to delve into God's Word. We've often hear the term, our gut feeling. I believe it's the Spirit guiding and leading us. And as we understand and come to know God's Word better and who He is and what He wants for us, right, we better understand which direction to go. Might be a bad illustration, but I thought of this as I was preparing. Uh, some of you may know I worked at a camp for 10 years, and I did a lot of maintenance work. And one of the years at camp, we had a conference to go to, and part of the conference was a silent auction. And one of the items in the silent auction that we bid on as a camp was a bucket truck that we needed for camp, needed some repairs. Needed some work, but we figured we could take care of it. So we made the bid, and we won it. Now, the only thing is that it was a four hours away. So we loaded up our truck, we loaded our car hauler up, and we left out for the, the other camp that had the truck. We were kind of, kind of knew where the camp was, so we decided it would be best to take a GPS with us. And just like any other camp that I've been a part of, it's always in the middle of nowhere. It's never dead center of a town. And so before long, as we got closer to the camp, our GPS signal started to drop, and there was no cell phone service. And so we began to do what we knew was best, was to follow signs and directions to get to the camp. And before we knew it, the roads began to get narrower and the signs that we were following began to become illegible and we couldn't see them. But as typical guys, we did not stop and we figured we're on the right track. So we trudged forward. And at times I remember we were even joking about how we were in some kind of weird horror movie that something was about to come out and do something. Right. Finally, we got to a point we could not move forward. It was a dead end. We had this huge truck with us with a car hauler on the back, and it was no easy task to turn around. 
So we got out, we took a look around, and we realized, okay, it's probably time to head back. And so after I don't know how long, we finally got the truck turned around, and we were headed back, and we decided, oh, let's stop again just to make sure we're going the right way this time and, and just make sure we're where we need to be. And as we were looking, we noticed that there was a little bit of a drop-off a couple yards away. And so as we walked closer to the drop-off, we realized it really dropped off. And as we looked over the edge, to our surprise, comically, was a camp that we were looking for, about 100 feet down. So now with the truck in the right direction, we headed back out, and through many turns and twists, we ended up at the camp that we wanted to get to. All right. We weren't prepared at least not the way we thought we should have. Right. But we kept trudging through. We didn't stop to ask directions. We didn't stop to look around until it was too late. The signs were all gone. It was just us, two guys, a pickup truck in the middle of the woods, which turned out to be a national forest. But life is that way, isn't it? When we stray too far from the Word of God and we just continue through life the way that we feel we should go. Oh, we've got this. I know the way. Well, things are not looking so great, but if we just keep going forward, it'd be fine. And so we ignore the signs and signals about what's coming up ahead. Right. But we continue to move forward. We find ourselves not feeling the joy anymore. We find ourselves feeling down. We find ourselves feeling a little lost. Our brains are a little bit foggy. We gripe and we complain. God, why is this not going the way we think it should go? Sounds familiar. History tends to repeat itself. The nation of Israel... Israel did the same thing. Right. Look at what Psalm 1 continues on to say. Verse 2 and 3 says, Instead, he finds pleasure in obeying the Lord's commands. He meditates on his commands day and night. He is like a tree planted by flowing streams. It yields its fruit at the proper time, and its leaves never fall. He succeeds in everything he attempts. We're blessed by not following the wicked, but by obeying the Lord's commands. That seems pretty simple, but yet we don't do it. We understand it, but we stray away from it. We want to do it our way, and then we complain. We shift the blame. I want us to notice the progression in verse 1 because I think it's helpful. For those who are righteous, they do not what? Follow the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the assembly of scoffers. Notice the movement. Right? They do not follow. And then all of a sudden they do not stand, nor do they sit. It's the same with us 
going through the woods, trudging through, right? We were going along at a pretty nice pace, and then we started to slow down, and we took a break, and we just stood there pondering. We just sat there kind of defeated. And so it is in our lives when we stray too far away from the Word of God. We begin to listening, listening to the voices around us and to the world. The psalmist continues and says that the righteous meditates on God's commands day and night, continually looking at the commands of the Lord. I move to Deuteronomy chapter 6. It says, Now these are the commandments, statutes, and ordinances that the Lord your God instructed me to teach you so that you may carry them out in the land where you are headed. And that you may be that you may so revere the Lord your God, and that you will keep all his statutes and commandments that I am giving you, you, your children, and your grandchildren, all your lives to prolong your days. So we're seeing the pattern again, God's word, right, to his chosen people who are be, being kept all of their days. Continues on and says, Pay attention, Israel, and be careful to do this so that it may go well with you. Right? The pattern continues that you may increase greatly in number. As the Lord your God of your ancestors said to you, when you will have a land flowing with milk and honey, listen, Israel, the Lord is your God. The Lord is one. You must love the Lord your God with all your mind, with all your being, and with all your strength. These words I am commanding you today must be kept in mind, and you must teach them to your children and speak of them as you sit in your house, as you walk along the road, and as you lie down, and as you get up. You should tie them as a reminder on your forehead and fasten them as symbols on your uh, doorstep. Inscribe them on the door frames of your houses and gates. The word of God should be part of everything that we do. I love, right, the pattern that we see from Psalm 1 and Deuteronomy 6. As we go about our daily lives, as we sit, as we stand, as we do all these things, right? And all that we do, right? We should teach them to our children and speak about them in our house, right? When's the last time that's happened in your home? As we walk along the road, as you lie down, I read as you walk along the road, I'm reminded of my dad. He didn't have much of an education. He couldn't read well, but he loved to listen to God's word. And so he had a collection of CDs. Yes, CDs. This is far back on the book of Psalms. And he was a self-employed contractor, and so as he drove around the city, right, giving estimates and doing work, he would throw a CD in and he would just listen to the Psalms all day long. We must immerse ourselves in it, meditate on it, put it into practice. It's one thing to study it, it's another to be obedient to it. And this is what the psalmist is telling us. 
He continues on and he is like a tree planted by flowing streams. It yields its fruit at the proper time and its leaves never fall off. He succeeds in everything he attempts. When we meditate on the word of God day and night, when it becomes, it becomes a light unto our path and a lamp unto our feet, we become like trees planted by flowing streams. That word meditate, haga, which describes the sound of a bird cooing or a bear mowing as it chews its food. It's this hunger, this desire. It's where we find peace, where we see his mercy and his grace. We're reminded of who he is. We cling to it. I love those illustrations of a bird cooing, this joyfulness, a bear moaning as it chews its food, right? This hunger for God's word. It desires it. It wants it. It delights in it. For us, it means that we quietly recite the scriptures in our minds as a way to focus our attention so that it becomes a part of who we are. that it guides every single step that we take. So God's word leads us along a righteous path. It's food for our soul. It nourishes us. And not only do we grow from it, we begin to live in a way that attracts and excites others. Right? Verse 3. It says that we begin to bear fruit at the right time, that we never go bare. We become a signpost of life. We begin to live out our kingdom purpose. To be in community, in a community that loves and worships the one true God. Who seeks him in all that we do. And because of it, we succeed in all that we do to his glory. second half of the psalm con- contrasts the first part. There's perishing, a lack of life, a withering away. And that may be times that we notice that in our own lives. We're not where we need to be. We don't feel the way we think we should feel. It's in those times that we need to retract and we need to come back to the Word of God. And allow it to encourage and to build up and to correct and to train and to rebuke. I think of John chapter 15 when he talks about us being connected to the vine. And how he prunes us, shapes us, molds us. And we can all remember times when we were excited about the word of God. If we take time and think back to when we first received Christ as our Lord and Savior, the excitement and the joy that we had. We felt alive. We felt refreshed. We felt energized. We quickly wanted to share that joy and that new life with those around us. That is a glimpse of the kingdom purpose. 
that we allow the Word of God to dwell in us richly and we allow it to guide us in every season and in every circumstance. We begin to give praise to God because of all that God has done for us and we share that with those around us. We are His chosen people. We have a kingdom purpose. Trees planted by flowing streams, yielding fruit, standing tall and green, succeeding in everything we attempt because of God's grace and mercy to His glory. In doing so, we bring life into our homes, to our neighborhoods and communities, and who knows how far out it reaches. As a chosen of God, are you meditating in the Word of God and are you obeying it? In doing so, we live out the purpose we've been given, to invite others to worship and live for the one who gave it all to bring us back to him. And so my charge to you this morning and to myself is to go and faithfully represent God by how we live as a community of love, of justice, and worship of God alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this day. Thank you again, Lord, for the opportunity we have to be here together as a community, Lord, to worship you. Lord, I pray that as we go from this place, Lord, that we will be reminded, Lord, of who you are, how great you are, Lord, how good you are, Lord, that you love us, that you care for us, Lord, that you provide for us. Father, help us to be, Lord, a proper representation of you, your chosen people. Lord, and as we go throughout our days, Lord, that we will do everything that we do to your glory. And in a way, Lord, that would share the life you give us with others around us. That they too, Lord, would turn and worship you because of the same reason. Father, we love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.